The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. If you like this show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your shows. If you'd like your own podcast, please go to pod617.com for more information on how we can produce a show for you. I want to thank our sponsor, the All-Inclusive Podcast with Jay Ruderman. Wherever you find your podcast, find that show, All-Inclusive with Jay Ruderman. Fantastic show, great interviews, and we thank them for their support of the show. So I have an old friend on the line. When I say old friend, I haven't connected with this dude for like 40 years, and there's a story behind it, and he's wicked impressive guy because he's a professor of, let's let's see if I have this right, Matt, professor in the Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at a school in Cambridge called Harvard University. Is that, is, that, is that updated information? That is correct, yes. All right. Well, let's welcome Matt to the virtual studios here at the Boston Podcast. So how long have you been at dear old Harvard? I've been a professor there since 1997, and I was a, what's called a postdoctoral fellow there before that. So after you get your PhD, you do a few more years of training. So and I was hired as a professor in 97. Okay. So and has oncology and which which again for uh the uninitiated that is i take it the the study of cancer and cancer treatment and cure and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. exactly all right so does that mean you went to med school or no no uh, okay. i did not go to medical school that's an md i have a okay. phd mm-hmm. so that i went to graduate school for chemistry specifically something called organic chemistry Okay. And now, how do you spend most of your time? Is it research? Is it study? Is it teaching? What is it? It's a blend of all those things. Mm-hmm. So my, pr- my primary you know, efforts are, I have a research lab at Harvard, where students, PhD students and postdoctoral students are working on projects in my lab, specifically to develop new therapeutics to treat cancer. I spend a portion of my time teaching, so we all teach. I teach two courses. One is organic chemistry for Harvard undergraduates that are majoring in chemistry and biochemistry, Mm -hmm. and then a a more advanced course in drug discovery. And I spend about 20% of my time on biotech. I'm also, I guess you can call it a biotech entrepreneur. So I found biotechnology companies also focused on developing cancer therapeutics. Oh, cool. So is that, do you have a separate company for that? Or are you just kind of a consultant for hire? I I have a separate company, a company founded in 2017 called New Valent. Mm. Okay. And that company is developing drugs for the treatment of various genetic forms of lung cancer. It's in Cambridge. Cool. But how can people, is that, can you, I don't know if you need to spell it. You said Nuvalent, right? Yes. N-U-V-A-L-E-N-T. They have a beautiful website. You can go to the website, learn about what they're doing, the pipeline of drugs they're developing, et cetera. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Nuvalent.com, N-U-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. This stuff is so far over my head, Matt. I don't know where to begin, but please check that website out if you want to find out more about what 
what Matt is working on. So right off the top, I guess I should tell our listeners the inspiration for me looking you up after all these years. We, and happily, I've, I'm meeting someone who is very impressive and has done very well in their life, which is not always the case. People you remember from childhood sometimes go off and sometimes you see mugshots of them on, on the internet or whatnot. So Matt, I just have this memory of being at, at summer camp and it was day camp. It was Sharon country day camp, which by the way is now defunct. I don't know if you knew that, Matt. I did know that, but yeah. isn't it another camp now? Did oh, it, turn into, it could be. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't driven by there in a, in a while, but it was your typical day camp. It was actually a good camp. It had a fair amount of spirit, I thought. And typical, you know, there was a, the lake and the water was too cold and, you know, mostly sports and stuff, color war and all that. But I have this, we all have childhood memories that stick out and who knows why. But there was a particular summer where this, I'll give him a shout out because he, he ends up not necessarily being the villain of the story, although at the beginning he is. Our, fr- our mutual friend at the time, Eric Kaplan, we must have been, I want to guess like 10 years old at the time or something like that. You're probably like in bunk 4A or something. I don't know. But I have this distinct memory of Eric like waging a war on me within the bunk and ha- and telling people in the bunk not to talk to me because I was terrible because I always butted into other people's conversations. And that became like this this thing in the bunk who these kids are supposed to be my friends are shunning me because I because Eric told them to, right? And so, and so you and I were playing with a wiffle ball. I think there was a game you used to play where you th- just throw it on the top of the bunk and yep, yep. let it bounce or something. Like that. Roof ball or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roof, roof ball. Exactly. So you and I are playing that game and you and Eric is coming to you as probably the final member of the bunk to turn against me and, and said, hey, Matt. Don't talk to Yaz anymore. He butts into everybody's conversations. And as clear as day, I remember these years later, you, you thought about it for a second. And then you said, no, why would I do that? He's one of my friends. And we went back to playing wiffle ball. And uh, it was rare, I thought, at the time, because, you know, when you're 10 or, or however old, you know, it, it's, I don't know if you call it peer pressure when you're that young, but, you know, kids can be mean. And usually it's like, hey, come be mean with me. Most kids would probably say, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Now, can you, be mean are mean. Are, are mean, right? <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Now, you don't remember that, do you? You know, when you told me the story, I didn't remember it, but I've been thinking about it. And I think I vaguely re- remember it. I certainly remember all the things around it, the camp and the roof ball and the pe- all the people, mm-hmm. definitely. What, what, what are your other memories of that camp? Positive, negative, just whatever? Or? I think pretty darn positive, yeah. right? You got to play sports all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the counselors were pretty good. Mm-hmm. One I remember the, color war, no doubt yeah. about that, right? Yeah, maroon, maroon and white, maroon and white, yeah. Bury uh, the hatchet, forty paces from the tree. Remember oh you some- wow, you remember that stuff? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Come on. That was the cool stuff about camp. It is just weird traditions, like yeah, the opening of color war happened uh, occurred in ceremonial fashion by the color war cap, scoop by scoop, digging up. Were you there? Go ahead. To, so they would make a big entry. A big deal was the entrance of the captains, right? Yeah. So one year they came in on fire trucks, and we we're like yeah. ten and eleven. We're yeah. just like, oh my god! One year, yeah. I don't know if you remember it. They came in on a helicopter. I don't know if I was there that year. Or, oh or, or if, are you kidding me? I, we're just like, the captains are coming. Okay, how are they coming? And you hear this no way even today we would be impressed by that like like how did how did they pull that off 1980 or 79 or whatever yeah right around there yeah yeah i remember one time 
them coming in, like, I, I remember them wearing war paint and coming across the lake in canoes. Mysteri- and yep. they, they, they also had this secret society in the camp called Fire Circle. Do you remember that? I sure do, because yeah. we, at sleepovers, right, yeah. they'd pick one person. Now, sadly, I was never chosen. You know, every time they go to pick somebody, right, you're like, please me, please yeah. me. Yeah. And I went to this damn camp for like 10 years, but I was never chosen because <laughs> I wasn't cool enough. But all the cool people were chosen. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't either. And, and, and people were telling me I was going to get chosen because I was like a nice, well-behaved kid, but that wasn't enough. Yeah, so I never got cool. chosen for Fire Circle, but so I still don't know what they did. But but it's very interesting that we both still have memories of that place. You know, for a summer camp, that I went on to go to Camp Telnor in New Hampshire and go, kind of made, I don't want to say made of a career or career out of it because that sounds pathetic, but I went for, I was a counselor for like five or six years and just loved it. And the the thing that um, I, sticks out to me is if the counselors think something's cool, then the kids are going to think it's cool. Like if you bury a hatchet ceremonially to end color war and then dig it up the next summer, you know, if the counselors say, oh, that's stupid, the kids aren't going to pay attention. But when it's, it was dealt with this mystique, do you remember it that way? And seriousness too, right? Yeah. The silence came over. Everyone, yes. ser- it was between the, the girls' bunks and the boys' bunks, this like dirt area. Right. And everybody would make a big circle and they'd pace it out and start digging. And you wonder, as they start digging, like, is it still there? And they dig and damn thing was there. Yeah, ex- exactly. And then there was the all-tribe relay, which was... I've never seen so much excitement over what was the simplest of relay races of just passing a baton just back and forth across a field. But man, people were screaming their heads off for that thing. So, no, but it was super cool. The, the thing would go on for an hour and it would, not only was it running, but there was swimming and kayaking. It went all the way around the camp, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. That was actually a separate one, if I recall correctly. There was one that was just a simple relay race. But either way, the, the spirit was. Fantastic. There's a color war one that was amazing. That's the one I'm talking about. That's right. That's right. The other thing I remember about the camp was there was a, you know, a big tent for that could fit hundreds of people in it. And the, they kept the trampoline there, at least at one point. And I remember there was a guy named Lloyd who was like, he happened to be like the only African-American person in the camp for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. This, the, the camp wasn't, wasn't very diverse, I don't think. But who knows? Anyway. He was a great athlete, this guy. And he, he one day he's on the tramp and people start gathering around, kind of checking, seeing what he can do on the tramp because he's such a good athlete. And he was able to jump high enough to actually touch the top of this tent, which at the time I thought was about a thousand five, feet high. A thousand, yeah, basically like a skyscraper. Like I, And I don't know, looking back on it, I don't know if that was such a death-defying feat. But it might have been. Uncle Lloyd was a badass. Yeah. I remember all that too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're going to play a quick round of burning questions with Matt Share, and that means uh, you're going to get some intense questioning, Matt. Don't fold under the questioning. It actually won't be that bad, but let's, uh, let's, let's play burning questions. Have a riddle for you. Answer the question. I stepped on the intro to burning questions a little bit. But... Okay, well, we know that things turned out very well for you, Matt, but when you were a kid... What did you want to be when you grew up? This is very embarrassing. A scientist. Really? Yep. (laughs) Well, I remember fourth grade, we went around the room. What does everybody want to be? And, you know, baseball player, yada, yada. I said scientist, and everybody made fun of me for the next couple of days. 
Come on, what a geek! And well, yeah, and you headed in and have since that day you headed in that direction and eventually got always interested in science. Yeah. Always, that was my favorite subject. Yeah, yeah. All right, let me ask you two geeky science. Que- they're not geeky science questions. They're dumb guy science questions. But I heard that Neil deGrasse Tyson has said that there is a more than fair chance that we are living in a computer simulation. Have you heard about this theory? And if so, does it hold water? Maybe a little bit, but I, I don't think that I agree with his odds that that's the case. Okay. Yeah. So good. Okay. I mean, he's. it fascinates me, even though I don't want to believe it, because it kind of breaks your brain that if you actually think that that is a possibility. Like, how can that be? We are living, breathing things. We have blood and guts and stuff. Yeah. But there are there are some indications like the, the way he says like, you know, the numbers around things principles of science like gravity and other things are so they're always con- constant and consistent which would suggest he says that somebody punched that data in at some point. But maybe that's just the way things yeah, I know. No. Come on. All right. So I mean, as a scientist, you know, <laughs> first thing is what's the evidence? And then can you test a hypothesis? You have a hypothesis. Okay. So he's got a hypothesis. Let's test it. Right. Does he have a way to test that, you know, test it? Yeah. And I guess there is no way. The but, evidence that there are constants in the universe are, that's a pretty bad set of, you know, piece of evidence, I think. All right. You heard it here for her here first. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is, is full of baloney. Well, maybe we'll get him on the show. You guys can debate. So here's the other question that you're going to think this is weird, but I've been fascinated by this ever since I heard it years ago. And there's a theory that we'll be able to see into the past at some point in the future when technology catches up. And the theory is uh, speed of light moves at a uh, constant speed like we're talking about like the, the, mm-hmm. the, there's a speed of light right and so if you are mm-hmm. if you could move faster than the speed of light and then look back to like where you were you would be seeing things that happened in the past in fact we know this of course because when we look up at the stars we are in a matter of speaking seeing the past because we see a star that's there that may have burned out years and years earlier but the light is just arriving at us now right mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so here's the theory you, at some point, develop a telescope that is the most superpower telescope you've ever had, and you shoot that up into the sky at a speed greater than the speed of light. And mm-hmm. then that telescope looks down upon the Earth and can see things that have happened years ago. Tell me, how does that theory work? So can I, can uh, I go back and solve the Kennedy assassination? Or? It's not my area of expertise. I, know. But... <laughs> I realize that. So you can't go faster than the speed of light. That would break the theory of relativity. That's, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity mm-hmm. states that you can't go faster than the speed. Okay. So, so matter, a, a, a person, a raccoon, nothing can go faster than the speed of light. I think the best way I could explain it is, let's say you have a spaceship and it's using some fuel to fuel you to go faster than the speed of light. As you would approach the speed of light, time would slow down. That, that we do know. And then in order to burn that last molecule of energy to go faster, time would have basically stopped. Mm-hmm. So, because you're going at the speed of light. If you were traveling at the speed of light, it would look like everything had stopped. And okay. you can't burn that last molecule of energy to go faster. Well, you've shut down both my theories, Matt, and I'm gravely disappointed. But Well, maybe Einstein's wrong, but it hasn't been wrong so far. For prob- so. Probably not, exactly. A uh, couple more questions on burning questions here. What really makes you angry? 
Doesn't seem like really. too much. No, I'm pretty even keeled. <laughs> the thing that comes to mind yeah. is the current state of the nation and, you know, half the country talking past each other, and this, you know, thinking about where we may be going in the next few years. That gets me maybe angry and scared. Yeah, the divisiveness really is. A th- Some people say, oh, it's always been that way. But no, I don't think I don't think it has. And um not divisiveness for the sake of device, divisiveness. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Like, I don't understand what's the ends, what's the end goal, just to have right. the country be exactly the way I want it to be and not everything else is wrong. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster, I think. Yeah. I knew, I, I'll jump back to another harebrained scientific theory, but I knew uh, a lawyer who, who was very involved in the autism community. He, he represented a lot of special needs organizations. And he said to me, and this was even before we had President Trump, he was just talking about the divisiveness in Congress and how Congress could never get anything done because it was always you against us. And if I do something for you, that means I've lost and all that kind of terrible stuff we're talking about. He said, do you think it, there's any parallel to the, the spike in the cases of people with autism? So I have a son with autism who's just turned 23. Happy birthday, Adrian. And he's always going to need some help, but he's a very happy kid. But because I've studied it, I know that Kids with autism see things in, in black and white a lot more than we do. And so his theory was that maybe we are evolving to, in a matter of speaking, become more autistic. And this would be a negative part of it. I, I would suggest there's also a positive part of it because their brains work in very interesting ways. But so I, you don't need to shut that shut shut down that theory because it's, it's out there. But is it possible? I'll ask you this, though. Is it possible that there's something in us as humans that is evolving to be more divisive, for lack of a better word. No, in the sense because evolution doesn't work that quickly. Right. Right. So this has happened over the last 15 to 20 years. Genetic evolution takes many, many, many generations. There's another type of effect called epigenetics. I'm happy to go into it if you want to. It's very yeah. interesting biology. That, those are changes that do happen more quickly. And those are changes not to the genetic sequence, not to your ATs, Gs, and Cs in your DNA, but actually chemical modifications onto it. Those do happen more quickly, like in one generation. And they can have effects on everything that, that humans do. So maybe there is some epigenetic change, but okay. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, th- but that could be th- things like changes in mood and personality and things. Actually, the, some of the more interesting ones, like for instance, if your parent, it's been shown that if your parents were either malnutrition, suffered from malnutrition right. or were obese, that in that one generation, that can change your, what's called epigenome, not genetics, not the ATGC sequence, but some chemical modifications on top of that. That's what epi means on top of. Mm. That can have changes to the one gen- next generation. So it may explain why, you know, if your family tends to be obese, that, that it's harder for you to have normal BMI. That's one, po- it's still being explored. It's very complicated biology, but that is a, a change that does happen more quickly. So but no, in the short yeah. answer, I don't think that explains <laughs> the divisiveness. I think there's lots of other explanations. I'm sure. I think, yeah. I, I think actually, I would say political talk radio Mm-hmm. And Fox News and the echo chamber that exists these days, I think that's a major cause of it. It's just something that is that, is... that has changed in one generation. That is a one generation change. I think it's very different than the way it used to be where everybody watched Walter Cronkite or, yep. you know, one got their facts from one, one place. Right. 
Yeah, and we wouldn't even think that Cronkite was, you know, favoring one side or the other. I mean, maybe it's, it's some people said that of him, but like you said, yeah, he was a trusted trust. It was the news. It was the news. It was not news with some commentary sprinkled in, you know, and. Well, now there's like the news has no news. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a set of facts and you can, there's two sides to the facts. And if, if they only show 99% of one side, then you're just mm-hmm. getting, and you can watch that all day. Like, okay, to be honest, I'm a sort of CNN, NPR type. That's where I get my news and New York Times, Wall mm-hmm. Street Journal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you watch Fox News, I've watched it for a while. I was like, whoa, what a completely different twist of the, and CNN does it too. CNN twists it. I don't yeah. think as hard to the left as it is to the right. But if you watch that all day and that was your only source of news, I can see how, you know, you could divide the country pretty easily. Yeah. And it's this new, it's this new ish thing that they've called alternative facts somehow where, you know, sadly it allows a leader like Trump to look at the sky and tell you that the sky's not blue, it's purple. And People would believe him if he said that, you know, and he, yeah, I don't think there's too much that's shrewd about the man. We don't have to get off on that whole thing. But in a way, his methods worked because once you convince people that the so-called mainstream media are just making stuff up, well, then you, you can't be wrong because any, anything that gets reported against him, he says, well, yeah, well, look at the source, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it used to be we could look to Cronkite or people like him and yeah, it is sad. And, you know, I am a sucker for those old school politics and, you know, the days where, you know, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan could argue on the, you know, in politics and then go have a beer. I don't know if those two ever had a beer, but I, but I know that it was a far more collegial. And so I'm with you. Uh, the, the big concern is yeah. that our constitution and country is built on compromise. And if there's zero compromise, it's not, I'm concerned about where we go. Yeah. Yeah. I remember getting a, a, I must have contributed to a Republican candidate, which would run against my family's roots and everything, but I'm sure I did at one point. And I started getting mailings from the Republican Party. And I remember there was like this, almost like a booklet. And it was over and over again, how we stop Obama, how we stop Obama. And it was like, okay, if you want to stop him from doing something specific, because it's a good reason, tell me. But it seemed like the whole mantra of the thing was anything he does that, he accomplishes is a negative for us and the the other side's guilty of it too so all right now i'm depressed matt thanks a lot but congratulations you've successfully navigated the burning questions segment of the show how did you do everybody yep absolutely winner So I, I don't want to uh, miss an opportunity to ask you, you know, if you can tell us what, what your latest discoveries and research may have been in oncology 
and maybe what the future holds. And I guess the just to make it more complicated, compound question: <laughs> Are you optimistic? Are you optimistic about the pro- the progress that you and others have made in the in cancer research? So, short answer for the field: Yes, I'm very optimistic. But you asked about well, something we're doing that I'm excited about. Yeah, please. So the co- the company that I mentioned, Nuvalent, I think that they so they are developing it's for lung cancer, and it turns out in every cancer there are specific genetic mutations that the cancer cells acquire. You're t- sometimes you're born with it, but a lot of times they're acquired. They're what's called the fancy word is somatic mutations, but they're acquired over time. The cancer cells acquire a mutation that makes them grow too quickly and uh, travel to sites in the body they shouldn't be and cause havoc. So the company is developing, I think, really excellent oral drugs for treating lung cancers that have those mutations. And one of the things they've been able to do is what you really want to do, it's like hitting a bullseye. Remember SCDC, where there was the archery range? <laughs> archery, right? was very, archery was very big in that summer camp. Oh, yeah. good analogy, taking <laughs> yeah. it back to Yes, camp. thank you. Right, so you want to hit the bullseye. Right. So it turns out that in cancer, what's called targeted therapies work best when you hit just the protein that has the mutation in the cancer cell. Turns out that's really hard to do because in every cell, there's hundreds of thousands of different proteins floating around and many of them look really similar. So imagine you're at the archery range and there's seven targets lined up and you put a blindfold on and you want to hit one target, one and right in the bullseye, hard to do. Mm -hmm. Same thing with developing cancer drugs. So it takes some sort of special chemistry on how to do it. And a lot of what's called computer-aided design, the computers have become very powerful for designing the, the structures of these molecules. So the company has, I think, some wonderful compounds. They're not yet in clinical trials. They'll be soon, very soon in clinical trials in humans for treating these specific forms of lung cancer. And the hope is that we can extrapolate what we've learned here to other types of cancers as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, the benefits of those is you shrink the tumor, but you have very, very few side effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's and if you ask me about the future, I think the future... Wait, Matt, you said uh, shrinking the tumor through, the, if I followed correctly, through the use of pharmaceuticals, through the use yes. of oral drugs? Okay, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So these cancer cells are basically addicted to this mutated protein. And if your chemical can go in and stick to, it's called bind, bind the protein and prevent it from doing what it's typically doing, driving the growth of that cancer cell, the cancer cell not only stops growing, but actually dies. And that's actually when you see regression. So a patient with lung cancer, they would go in for a scan. You would see the, the, the tumor. You'd measure the volume. But after taking the drugs for a few weeks, you'd actually see that volume contract and actually the tumor shrink. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot. The problem is the cancer cells become resistant. Mm-hmm. That's really one of the biggest challenges is a lot of these drugs are effective initially, but after 12 months or 14 months or maybe a couple of years, if it works really well, the cancer cells acquire resistance. So my company is, you know, working hard to actually have compounds that are work as long as possible mm-hmm. with a, with minimal side effects. And uh, the company Matt refers to is uh, Nuvalent, as I mentioned, and you V A L E N T dot com. Were you a fan of the the show Breaking Bad? No. I watched a couple episodes, but my, I watched it with my wife, and she thought it was too gory, so we turned it off. But I know he's a chemistry professor. And although, the, I mean, you know the premise of the show, that he uses his skills for evil, I think fair to say, in creating, you know, crystal meth rather than doing. But he also does some other cool stuff with science in the show, and it, it 
I think it woke up a lot of people up to science. Hopefully not to meth. That would be bad. So I hope that's not that that that's not their only reference for a scientist. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. It would be a weird role model to have. I, I admit the other thing I thought. See, I bring everything back to to movies and TV, Matt. But when you talked about attacking the cancer cells, I kept picturing Raquel Welch and her colleagues in that capsule that got injected into someone's body in that old film, Fantastic Voyage. Did you, mm-hmm. did you ever see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. If you could be shrunken down, would you do that and actually directly attack the, the cancer cells? I sure would. Absolutely. Okay, okay good. That's, yep. No doubt. <laughs> I think that's safe. That's, that's, that's something that, you know, the technology keeps getting better and that kind of thing too. And, you know, I don't think people will be able to be shrunk. So I think, I don't think we're going to have that ready for you yet, Matt, but I guess you never know. Anyway, we are up against the clock here. Any Anything else people should know about, Matt? I directed them to the website, of course, but your work and such, how they can find out more. There's also a website I have from my Harvard lab. Mm-hmm. If you just go to Harvard Chemistry and you can see my name on the list of faculty, you can see what I'm doing in my lab as well. It looks like a Share Lab as well. So so Matt's surname is S-H-A-I-R, Share Lab. com. That's why it took me a little longer to find you because I was misspelling your name, but you must get that a lot, but... Anyway, sure. Yep. <laughs> Not too many S-H-A-I-Rs around. Yep. <laughs> so we do have to go, but Matt, you're a good sport. Thank you for lifting my spirits 40 years ago when I needed it. And thank you for lifting them again today. Maybe let's make sure it's not another 40 years, right? Absolutely. That sounds like fun, David. All right. And congratulations on all the, the great work you do. Please check out all of Matt's work. Um, New Valent and the, the Share Lab. So... I want to thank our sponsor. It is the All-Inclusive Podcast with Jay Ruderman. Please check that out. If you want your own podcast, go to pod617.com to get started. Subscribe to us, this show, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. And on behalf of Matthew Share, my old buddy, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Enjoy the day, everybody.